Blog Talk Radio. Driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. There's a voice in my head that drives my heel. With your hosts, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling till I need you here. And John Harlow. And at the half past four and I'm shifting gear. Hello everybody and welcome to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell, John Harlow with you as well. 917-889-8280 gets you on the show tonight on Talking in Circles. We're going to be breaking down the Coca-Cola 600 on Sunday night. Kyle Busch, his 47th career Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series victory. The win also meant that he has won at every racetrack on the circuit. How impressive is that? Where is Busch going to rank on the all-times list when it all is said and done, we'll discuss all that. Talk about who had a good day, who had a bad day. Kevin Harvick's first career last place finish happened on Sunday. We'll talk about all the good and the bad from the Coca-Cola 600. Also, touch on a little bit of the Indianapolis 500. Will Power went to victory lane, uh, and Daniel Ricciardo went to victory lane in the Formula One race, led every lap from the pole uh, in the Grand Prix in Monaco on Sunday as well. And we'll preview the Pocono 400 from Pocono Raceway. Take your calls. It's 917-889-8280. Again, if you want to join on Talking Circles. John, Kyle Bush, he was your winner for the Coca-Cola 600. Hadn't won a points race at Charlotte. Won every race multiple times there that you needed to win, but hadn't run a, a cup points race there. Finally did it on Sunday at the Coca-Cola 600. His 47th career win. He's won at every racetrack. Uh, a dominant, dominant performance for that 18 team, and it puts Kyle Busch uh, one of, if not the favorite, to win this championship right now. If the season, if the regular season ended today, no doubt about that. Yeah, and it's a heck of an accomplishment for Kyle Busch. I mean, you look at some of the legends in this sport in the modern era. Richard Petty can't say he did that. Jeff Gordon couldn't say he did that. Tony Stewart couldn't say he did that. Jimmy Johnson can't say he did that. David Pearson couldn't do it. Daryl Waltrip didn't. I mean, those are your some of your big-time names of who could do and run on multiple um, the different types of track. I mean, Gordon was great on a road course, great on a short track, went on the super speedway, but there was a hole in there. Same with Stewart. Kyle Busch is the first one to ever do this. Now, it's only going to last until October whenever they do the Roval, and that adds a new track into the uh, circuit because they're considering the Roval different than the uh, mile-and-a-half. But Kyle Busch has done something that nobody else has ever done. And whenever you said about where does Kyle Busch rank coming down the pipeline as it goes, think about it. Kyle Busch has 48 wins right now, and he's got at least 10 more years under his belt before he could think about re- before he'll think about retiring. And Kyle Busch, when he gets in a car, he wants to win. And as long as he's in Joe Gibbs equipment, he's going to be in great shape. He could end up being challenging for 100 wins by the time he's done there's only two of them that have ever done it uh richard petty and david pearson kyle bush could end up number two on the all-time list and at the end of the day depending on how how many championships he wins by the time he's done because i mean he's still a young guy Mm. he could still win three four more championships by the time it goes kyle bush could be in the uh equation with in the top five of all time I mean, you look, you've got the three seven-time champions and Petty's seven-time championships. I mean, I count that as a whole different era because they'd run two, three times a week 
And there were only so many full-time drivers in the circuit. It's sort of like running the world of outlaws. There's 10, 15 guys who travel around the country and then they bring the local guys in to fill out the field. This is something completely different the way they're running now. And I think Kyle Busch, if you add in his truck, you add in his Xfinity, you add in anything he can get his hands on, he'd run a tricycle and race anybody until he couldn't race anymore. I think Kyle Busch is going to go down as one of the top five drivers of all time. And depending on the era and depending on the fan base, he could end up number one or two. Yeah, a very impressive performance, no doubt about that. Led 377 of the race's 400 laps, so all he led all but 23 laps uh, in the Coca-Cola 600 on Sunday night. That's a very, very, very impressive figure when you look at that. Um, listen, I think Bush is putting himself, no doubt, early in the year. I think you know the first five, six races of this season, you there was no doubt Kevin Harvick was your guy. Um, but we've seen that four car not be so bulletproof here recently, and the 18s capitalized. And now all of a sudden, the 18s sort of his period of said and said, "Hey, don't forget about me. Um, I'm a cha- I'm a championship contender too." So right now, those two are going to slug it out. If the season ended today, I would think you would think th- those two slug it out. But we still have half the regular season to go. People can emerge. Uh, Martin Truex Jr., who I I think you look at him, he's not as strong as he was last year or the year before. Uh, that 78 team has shown that they are human on these mile-and-a-half tracks. They didn't qualify very good. You look at 15, you say, well, that's not bad. But usually they're up front in the top five. They stay up front. They didn't qualify great. It took them a little while to find the setup here at Charlotte Motor Speedway. And by the time they did, Kyle Busch was gone and found the setup uh, and was your winner. So Truex had a very good race. He finished second, but didn't leave any laps. Wasn't what we normally see from that 78 team. So they're just a little bit off right now. Martin Truex Jr. and the Furniture Racing team. I think they can find it. I don't think it's anything to be too alarmed about as far as, well, they got 13 weeks to figure it out. It's not that they're so far out they're not going to find it in 13 weeks. Um, they're just a wee bit off the four and the 18 right now. No doubt about that. A solid second-place finish, but uh, I still think there's obviously some concern for that 78 team because they're no nowhere near where they were a year ago. Yeah, it was a solid second-place finish, seven and a half seconds behind Kyle Busch. I mean, Kyle Busch was crossing the finish line and Martin Truex was in three and four. Um, I think Truex, they're running into problems on pit road. They might want to investigate who that pit crew is and make some changes there. I know they're, they're not as good as they were last year, but hell, on a mile and a half, who was as good as Truex was last year? I think Harvick, they've been checkers or wreckers pretty much this year. Either he wins or he finishes 30th or worse. And I think that's one of the things that they have the opportunity to play with. They're, they're going for everything all the time. And if Harvick makes it through pre-qualifying inspection on Thursday night last week, I don't know if we're having this conversation. He went from 37th to 5th in 65 laps. And he was running fifth and catching fourth whenever he ran over something on the track. Goodyear says it was a punctured tire that caused his left front to blow and put him into the wall, causing Harvick's first last place finish in his career. And that's pretty impressive considering he came in, what, 2001? That's 17 years and he never finished last. 
Um, but I think I would have really have loved to have seen Harvick and Kyle Busch duke it out. We haven't seen that too much this year. When we have, Kyle Busch has been on the losing end of it. He's had a couple second-place finishes to Harvick, but he hasn't um, hasn't beaten Harvick when Harvick has put himself – unless Harvick's put himself into the wall or something. Yeah, no doubt about that. It would have been great to see what the four would have had for the 18 because, again, the 18 was sort of in his own zip code. Uh, nobody could really run with him all day long. You know, the only t- time we really saw somebody – outrun the 18 was Logano in the first 10 laps. Then all of a sudden Kyle reeled him in and Logano was a non-factor and ended up 22nd. We'll discuss his night a little bit later as well. Um, Denny Hamlin was third, Brad Keselowski fourth, and Jimmy Johnson fifth. Hamlin had a pretty solid day, uh, ran the top five, top 10 all day long. Keselowski, we saw him fade a little bit in the middle of the race, got some track position, stayed up in the top five and finished fourth. But, you know, the team Penske cars right now, you know, the only time we really saw a dominant team Penske car has been Ryan Blaney, the Daytona 500. I thought he was he was the best car, and Bristol he was the best car before he got caught up in a wreck. Um, you know, Team Penske just seems to be a step behind Stuart Haas in the four, a step behind the 78, a step behind the 18. They're okay and they got speed. Again, I'm not putting them in in the panic category, but there's still some work to do, no doubt, at Team Penske because uh, Kozlowski had a decent day, like I said, but. That, that, I think, was the best that car could, could have finished right there was fourth. Uh, Logano had a better car early on than he did later. He ended up 22nd, a disappointing day for him. Um, and Ryan Blaney, you know, he was up and down all day before. He had his, his engine issue um, and took him out of the race. So uh, an up-and-down day for Team Penske. So I think when you look at third, fourth, and fifth, because last year was fourth, you know, up-and-down day. But the guy I was really saw some speed from was Jimmy Johnson. Um that was his best race all year long. I know he spun by himself, but that Lowe's car was very, very good. It was beautiful, by the way. Uh, the paint scheme is awesome in that car, but uh, it was very, very fast. Um, and it just seemed like they were very, very close to making the next step and finding some speed. I don't think they're there. Obviously, they're not there yet to run with the 18 and the 4, but a step in the right direction, I think, for uh, that 48 car on Sunday night. Yeah, I think it was. And I think the one thing that there's been people making a uh, big hay about over the week was Jimmy and Chad's conversations over the radio where Jimmy's saying, I'm doing everything I can in the car. You need to adjust it. And Chad's like, well, I don't know what to do. Um, you're not telling me. And it seemed like they were just bickering back and forth. And as much as I hate to say it, it might be getting toward the end of the line for the Jimmy and Chad combination because it just seems the more and more they struggle, they're great together when they win, but it seems like when they struggle, each of them get on each other's last nerve. It almost sounds like the Brady Belichick deal that's going on right now in New England. Um, One of the things when Johnson spun, I thought it was pretty amazing how good you, you see in different things. Once in a blue moon, you see, why the NASCAR drivers at the cups level are the drivers that they are. When Jimmy Johnson spun, he could have easily taken out half the field, but somehow, some way, everybody missed him and nobody hit each other. I mean, Joey got a tap where he wound up getting spun, but it wasn't anything where Joey couldn't keep going or any major damage. And he missed Jimmy. He missed everything. And I mean, everything never hit the wall. I mean, it was an impressive, um, amount of driving by the drivers who were around Jimmy Johnson when he spun before he wound up gathering himself, getting tires, getting back into contention and finishing in the top five. I mean, that 48 car was passing people. 
He didn't lead any laps, but the 48 car was in contention. The 48 car was being talked about. The 48 car was passing people, which we haven't seen much of lately. I think Brad's problem during the race was the uh, the gamble whenever um, he missed his pit stall and um, his pit crew his pit his crew chief said just stay out. We only got 12 more laps until the end of the stage, and they went backwards faster than a boat anchor. I mean, they went from what the lead to 18th before mm-hmm. the end of the stage because he didn't have tires and. It, it was a tough break that they didn't come back in and get tires. They probably would have been able to go from, they weren't going to get, they weren't going to be 18th. They were going to at least been a top, they would have been fighting for a top 10 and a, and a point out of it, but that was a bad move on them. They figured they'd save a set of tires toward the end and they wound up running well at the end of the race so that they didn't get burnt too bad out of it. But I think Brad's day would have been better if he didn't miss, miss his pit stall, get those four tires before the end of the stage and uh, would have stayed in contention. No doubt about it. Another thing we, you know, you talk about Jimmy Johnson, we haven't seen much of that this year. Another thing we haven't seen much of this year was the performance from Jim McMurray on Sunday. Uh, A very impressive run. He finished in a sixth spot, was in the top five, top ten all day long. That car was really, really fast. Even in practice, it was really, really fast. Um, A solid, solid day for Jim McMurray and he really needed it. He's had a terrible year in 2018. There's some whispers that he could be his ride could be in jeopardy at the end of the year, uh, you know, because he doesn't have a contract for next season. So he's got to run as good as possible, as quickly as possible. A solid day for him at sixth. Then he had Larson in seventh. Kurt Busch finished in eighth. Another solid top ten run for Alex Bowman in ninth. And Ricky Stenhouse Jr., who I was very impressed with, he had to come from the back a couple of times. Uh, worked his way up to the top ten. He had some speed there in that fast and all forward. Um, he finished in the tenth spot. So position six through ten, there were some guys who really needed a good day. McMurray, Stenhouse, Bowman, who got who got a good day there at Charlotte. Uh, no doubt about it. I think, by the way, John McMurray was the fastest Chevrolet all week. I think McMurray ran great, and it was really weird to watch it. You were seeing Kyle Larson down on the bottom and McMurray riding the rails. That's usually the complete opposite. Usually McMurray's a bottom feeder and Larson is uh, hugging the wall all night. Um, Alex Bowman continues to just be steady. Another steady run for Alex Bowman, which was really nice to see. The one thing with uh, when you talk about Ricky Stenhouse Jr. pulling out a top 10 finish, you can tell there's a big difference between the 6 and the 17 car. They're not even in the same zip code. I mean, Matt Kenseth, I think you and I think that Matt Kenseth is a better driver than Ricky Stenhouse Jr. And Matt Kenseth was no better than a 20th to 22nd place car most of the night. I think he fin- he qualified 20th and finished 22nd. And he said he got everything he could out of that car. So there's still a lot of work to do at Roush Fenway Racing to get that 16 back to um, somewhere close to where Stenhouse is. But Stenhouse and uh, Brian Patty have found something. They're working well together. And they're pulling out top 10s, top 15s, top 5s. And the 6 car just is not there. I think it's uh, Matt Puscia is not doing anything special with that car. I don't think they're the same type of cars that are being built. I mean, when you see Stuart Haas do things, you can almost say that there's four cars being built almost alike. And then there's whatever the crew chief does different to it. I think the 6 and the 17 built two different sets of cars. And it's going to take a lot for Matt Kenseth to get that car up to speed 
to catch up to where Stenhouse is. I don't think there's anything about that. They got to find some consistency over there at Rashford Racing throughout both race cars. I don't, again, I thought Stenhouse was very good. I think Mac got a little bit better as the race went on. Attrition rate was very, very high. Uh, you know, Michael McDowell finished 18th, and that's a very good run for them, too. Um, but I think the attrition rate was very high in Kansas, and that six car benefited from that greatly. Uh, positions 11 through 15. Funny, a lot of guys in this in these spots that you look at, and, and when I mention these names, you're going to say a lot of them should have had better nights. A lot of them are, I think everybody here is going to be disappointed with this finish. Chase Elliott in 11th. I know Chevrolet and Hendrick Motorsports isn't where they want to be, but he didn't finish in the top 10, and I think that's still a top 10 car, so that's a disappointing night. Clint Boyer was a lot better than what he was all night, then he finished 12th. Same thing with Eric Amarola. I don't know what it is right now with Amarola. He seems to put a good first two stages together, and then in the third stage, it seems like that 10 car loses a little bit of speed, and he can't finish it. Um, and that's a little alarming, if, especially if you want to run for a championship uh, later on in the year. They've got to get some consistency and figure that car out on the last run of the race and get their finishes because they've run okay, but they just haven't finished great. Uh, another guy who I think you look at and is disappointing is Paul Menard. Uh, you know, he comes to that 21 car this year. That's a Penske team there. They, they have a lot of speed in that 21 car. Menard just hasn't have, gotten a job done so far this year. 14th is okay but you expect a lot better than that. Um, and that, that's a little bit of a disappointing run for him. And then Daniel Suarez, another so-so day. Uh, he finished 15th. That's probably better than what he ran all day. Uh, but we really didn't see him in the top 10 competing for, uh, you know, stage points and all that kind of stuff. It's a little bit disappointing day for Daniel Suarez as well. Yeah, I think the Daniel Suarez just was there. There was nothing special about his day. If you look at the way the race finished, there were only nine cars on the lead lap. So even Stenhouse in 10th place had to be a little disappointed because he wasn't on the lead lap with Kyle Busch. Kyle Busch was in his own zip code. Um, there were a lot of cars 11th to 15th. I mean, like you said, Chase Elliott finishing 11th. Um, it wasn't the day they wanted. Same with Clint Boyer in 12th. Almirola, for some reason, uh, him and Johnny Klausmeyer get the race started well. They just can't keep up with the track right now. And that's one of the things it seems like that Almirola's Got all the tools. They just haven't been able to put a full race together. Um, so, I mean, everybody from 10th on back, you have to look at it and say, boy, my day could have been better. But then again, Kyle Bush was in his own zip code. I mean, he won by seven and a half seconds. He was lapping people like it was his job. People were taking wave rounds all the time, and he still only ended up with nine cars on the lead lap. It wasn't a testament to how bad everybody else ran. Because I'll be honest with you, I was watching it, and you and I talked a little bit while the race was going on. Because you heard everybody screaming last week, oh, we need the all-star package. We need to slow them down. We need to bring them back together. I'll tell you flat out, the racing from 2nd to 25th was fantastic. Everybody was, I mean, there's two, three, four wide at times, and they were making moves. They were driving their butts off to try to get up front, and they couldn't get near the leader. The only time you saw really a pass for the lead was Joey Logano on the first restart because everything else, Kyle Busch passed everybody else. Nobody led anything unless it was under caution I mean, or during a uh, pit uh, uh, sequence. Nobody led other than Kyle Busch. It was almost as dominating as Truex leading the 392 laps a couple years ago. Um, 
But I think the racing from second on back was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, and you know, that's my biggest gripe about this pro- package is that the clean air means so much. Um, but, yeah, I thought it was a pretty good race through the center of it, no doubt about it, and the, mid- the meat of it. I always think it helps. this race helps a lot when uh, the track cools down and the changing conditions and all that kind of stuff. I think that really helps the Coca-Cola 600. Uh, position 16 through 20, and uh, there's just a couple of guys I want to mention here. Bubba Wallace had a pretty good day. He finished 16th. Matt Kenseth, you mentioned 17th. Probably his height where he was probably the best he was running all day was 17th. That's where he finished. Michael McDowell, 18th. Good run. They needed a good run. They've had some bad luck here recently. They needed to finish the race. Eric Jones in 19th and Casey Keene in 20th. Had some couple of weird things go on. Uh, Casey came into the pits. He pitted right in front of Eric Jones. He came in and knocked Eric Jones' pit crew pit gun out of the, his pit crew's hands, and Jones lost a lot of time on pit road, was never really able to recover. But I thought Eric Jones in that 20 car was really, really fast. Uh, they were probably the fastest they were all year long. Um, he seemed to chase down whoever he needed to chase down other than the 18 car. I thought he ran really good in Casey Kane at times. Casey Kane had a top 10 race car too at times, which was good to see. That 95 car, still a single car operation, still a team learning all the things they need to learn to put a race together, still building. Um, so nice to see that even though they didn't finish as good as they should have, uh, they had a couple of nice moments in the middle of a race to show that they got some speed. Yeah, it was nice to see Casey Kane up there. I mean, the tough part of it, I mean, and Joe Gibbs even said after the race, he felt so bad for Eric Jones because Eric Jones had a top five car at times. And how often is it he lost, what, 12 spots on pit road one time because he pitted too close to the wall and then uh, Kane pitted in the back of his box and wound up blocking Eric Jones in. So Eric Jones had to back up and go out. And then the second time when Kane comes in and takes the uh, air gun out of his front tire changer's hands, whenever he runs over the Kane runs over the hose going in, I mean, they're fluke, especially that one. That's a fluke happening. The first one you can halfway blame Eric Jones for pitting too close to the wall and pitting too far up in his uh, pit box. But those two pit uh, sequences pretty much put Eric Jones day into the crapper. But he had a great car. He ran well. That was the best run for Eric Jones, I think, since he's been at Joe Gibbs Racing in the Cup Series. I don't think there's any doubt about it. That was the first race where you sat there and said, okay, uh, this kid is for real, no doubt about it. A couple of guys um, from 21st on back that that are notables. You know, we talked about it earlier with Kevin Harvick finishing in 40th. You also had Ryan Blaney in 36th. He had engine issues. Ryan Newman, who was very, very fast until he had his engine issues finished 35th. Austin Dillon got caught up in an, a tire situation early. Well, Newman wasn't even a, an engine is, issue, I should say. He had some kind of a tire break on him, which is probably similar to his teammate Austin Dillon. Um, so they had some issues there in 34th and 35th. Those are really the guys in the back of the field that have some major issues. Uh, anything else, John, you want to talk about as far as the finishing order was concerned? Joe Logano in 22nd. I think that's a guy you need to look at and say, you know, what happened there? Um, he started second, led the first 12 laps. The car looked really, really good, and it just seemed like they lost it. Uh, a tough night for Joey Logano, no doubt about that. And, and he, you know, he finished 22nd, but he really didn't have that many too many big issues. He was 22nd because the car wasn't handling very good, which is really concerning. 
Yeah, Joey Logano lost the handle of that car in the first stage and never got it back. I don't know what him and Todd Gordon were trying to do, but they just could not. They were dealing with an evil race car. So, uh, Ryan was impressed throughout the day. I mean, I think they said his hub broke on his car which caused him to go behind the wall and be done for the night. But Newman was up in the top five and running solid in the top five. And then all of a sudden, boom, Newman's gone. And you didn't even know why until they came out and said, yeah, his hub broke and that's why he couldn't go forward. But Ryan Newman, I think he was the fastest Chevy of the night until um, he had his issue. Uh, He was passing people. He was in the top three, top five throughout the first couple stages of the race and was solid until the hub broke. So it was nice to see it. It actually, one of the things that was nice, it was nice to see Chevy's perform well. Let's see what they do at Pocono this weekend. Pocono, Pocono isn't as much aerodynamics. I mean, it is, but I mean, it's horsepower. How, how fast can you go down that 3,700 foot straightaway and get your, and the other one is how good can you get off turn three, that flat turn to get yourself down the straightaway. You can make it through one. Okay. Turns always tricky but it's horsepower at Pocono that's going to end up getting you there. And um, I was listening to um, one of the things I was listening about throughout the week, uh, Monday night on the late shift um, when I was driving back from uh, Pennsylvania, I was listening to uh, Brad Gilly and Doug Rice, and they were talking about Johnson and his struggles and Hendrick Motorsports and Chevy and their struggles. I think one of the things, and this is uh, something that came up, and you and I have talked about it. Lee and Virginia's brought it up with us. Whenever you think about Hendrick Motorsports three years ago, the competition meetings were Jimmy Johnson, Jeff Gordon, Dale Earnhardt Jr. And Casey Kane and Kevin Harvick and Kurt Busch and Tony Stewart and Danica. So you at least had seven drivers who knew what the car was going to do. You had seven crew chiefs who knew what they were doing. Stump running the chassis department, and you had Darian Grubb who was in charge of putting the cars together, making sure they were set. Well, now you take Stuart Haas, Stuart Haas Racing away because they've gone Ford Camp. Take Rex Stump, the chassis guy at Hendrick Motorsports, away because now he's the chassis guy at Stuart Haas, and Darian Grubb isn't putting the cars together anymore. He's on the box for uh, uh, William Byron. That's a whole different competition meeting. Hendrick Motorsports went from having a Ferrari to basically doing a big wheel where you've got Jimmy Johnson, Chase Elliott, who've been in there. I mean, Jimmy Johnson's been there for a while. Chase Elliott's been there three years. Alex Bowman's been a hell of a test driver. He's been consistent. But then there's William Byron in there, and I think he's still just learning what the car does. So the competition meetings, and Hendrick is basically the lead dog for Chevrolet. A lot of people learn from what they do and they spread their stuff throughout the Chevy camp, I think that's part of the reason why you're seeing Chevy struggle with the Camaro. Yeah, and, and I think they they had some, un, you know, I think this um, this new OES system has really thrown a wrench in, into their plans. I think they, th- they thought, oh, well, there might be some ways we can play with this car and get an advantage, and, and there's not, you know, um, you know, you basically got what you got. So I think this OES system really is, is throwing a wrench into that Chevrolet team's camp because it's a little place to do with it. And you know, you see teams like Carlton Motorsports have a little bit better year this year. Uh, last Sunday, starting to see, at least the 17 car, starting to put together some solid finishes. So 
Um, I think the you know the 43 is running okay. So I think you see the OES leveling the playing field a little bit, and you know Hedrick's got to look and, and play with play in other ways to um, to try and win races, and I think in other areas. So I think that's that's something that when you look at it, you say um, that, that's probably part of the problem. But you know we touched on it earlier, John, and I want to get your opinion on this and, and really dive into this a little bit. Is Kyle Busch? And just how good and what we're witnessing is, is um, you know, you talked about him as a top five driver in this sport. Uh, you know, think about it this way. He's 33 years old. He's got 91 Xfinity Series wins, 47 Cup wins, and I think 51 uh, Truck Series wins, give or take a two or three. I don't have it in front of me right now. Um, but let me just say, this kid, this guy is just on rails. When that car is right and, and that Joe Gibbs Racing Team is right, that there is nobody better than him, right? In, in this sport, and you can argue, you know, I know he gets hated, and listen, there's some stuff he does, which is, especially in his younger days, where you looked at it and you said he's kind of ridiculous. But the man can drive a race car. Nobody can deny that. He went out there on Sunday, dominated, dominated six of these series. You know, he went out, and what people have to keep in mind is, and I know it's it's a little bit different because um, the Xfinity series now. You know, you can run in the cup, cup stuff and stuff like that. But they had to basically create a rule to keep Kyle Busch out from winning the, in the Xfinity Series because he was sticking up the show there and then the truck series. Um, so it just shows you how good he is. Now, you look at that, what he's done with the tracks as far as winning at every racetrack. Again, that you say, well, you know, nobody else has done that in history. That's true. But um, the racetracks on the schedule haven't changed as much as they used to. Um, you know, we haven't really added a track to the schedule other than Kentucky in the last 15 years. Um, you know, when we've kind of shuffled them around a little bit and taken a date here and away from here and taken a date here, away from there, but we haven't really added a couple of racetracks where, you know, for the first 50 years of NASCAR, we've fooled around with tracks all the time. Um, so that's a little bit asterisk. But either way, this guy can really drive a car. That's one of the most impressive stats that he went out, and he just shows you he can win. Watkins Glen, Sonoma, he's won at. Um, and you're right, the Robo um, is, is going to change all that when he gets to Charlotte here in Robo in October. But to me, it doesn't matter. I think he's a favorite to go out there and win them the Robo. He can win anytime, anywhere, any track. The man can, is just a great race car driver. And, and there is no underestimating that, that's for sure. Well, I I kind of agree but disagree with your poo-pooing on the, uh, being on the same track for like the 10, 15 years that they've been on. Jimmy Johnson's been racing on those same tracks as well. He's been racing longer than Kyle Busch. Jimmy Johnson has, what, 83 wins, 84 wins in the Cup Series? And Jimmy Johnson hasn't accomplished winning on every track so far. I mean, I think Kyle Busch is an asshole at times, and part of the reason he's an asshole at times is all he wants to do is win. I mean, even when he wins, you remember when he won the first race in the car tomorrow and he said, this car sucks. I mean, you like the honesty. NASCAR hates it, but me as a fan, I love it when he's honest about it. I think one of the things that was really cool, and some of the people talked about it on NASCAR radio this week, is Kyle Busch said, yeah, it's been a mark on my wall that I wanted to win on every active track. A lot of people would go, well, it's a big deal. But Kyle Busch said, no, that's something I had on my wall. It was a mark on my career. And then they asked him whenever he talked to Moody on, I think, on Tuesday afternoon, they asked him, Kyle, 
do you want um, a boatload of more wins or do you want another championship? And before he could blink, Kyle, Kyle Bush wants another championship. So he's uh, – you, you don't get anybody better than him right now. I still think – I would take – if you gave me a choice right now and said, okay, you have the best team in the world, I'm going to give you whatever budget you want for a driver – I'm taking Kyle Busch. As much as I think Kevin Harvick and Rodney Childers have everything together right now, I'll take Kyle Busch because he's the guy that can make a 15th place car win and also keep a winning car winning. I think he's that good in a race car, and he can do it in all forms and all disciplines. I mean, you saw him win in the truck. You see him win in the Xfinity. You see him win in the cup. And, hell, you look at him in the truck and the Xfinity cars – he would have won that truck race at Charlotte if his pet if his pit crew had their heads up didn't have their heads up their butts, and the Xfinity race he's going for it because hell what else he have to do? So he tried to do a pass in the grass didn't work but he tried, so he was doing anything he could to win because that's why he's there. Kyle Busch reminds me of um, old Will Ferrell in uh, in the movie that he did. Second Talladega place Nights. is the first loser in Talladega Nights. If if you if you don't win, you lose. And Kyle Busch hates right. losing. No, no doubt about it. And you know, I admire for that in in a way because it's some people get complacent. You know, when you win a lot of races, you say, okay, you know, it's easy to get comfortable. Um, you know, I don't think there's any doubt about that, especially with the money these guys make. You know, Lee Petty used to say, well, the reason why I won all these races because I had to. Because if I didn't win the races, you know, we wouldn't be eating. Uh, at the table on on Wednesday or, or during the week because if I didn't win the money wasn't enough to put us through for second place so we had to win um, and that's a pretty good reason to run as hard as you can and uh and you know like I said it's easy to get comfortable now these guys make millions and millions of dollars you can sit there and go okay I'm comfortable I'm good you know I really don't need to go out and win a lot Kyle Busch doesn't do that Jimmy Johnson doesn't do that either because he's got seven championships but the really great ones. They want to win every race they're in. They're saying, you know what, bull crap. I want to win every single race I'm in. I want to lead every single lap. And if I'm not, I'm miserable. And so you admire them for that because you say that, that's something that it takes a, a special individual, special team to keep pushing like that. Uh, and, and it just separates the men from the boys. It really does. 917-889-8280. Talking in circles. Clayton Caldwell, John Harlow with you. Breaking down the whole weekend, the the weekend as well as the Coca-Cola 600. Uh, John, you know, the Indianapolis 500 was Sunday as well, the 102nd Indianapolis 500. You know, we'll touch on that a little bit here since we touched on it uh, last week. Lee Powell was your winner at Carpenter's second, Scott Dixon, then Alexander Rossi and Reinhard Ray were your top five. Race got pretty interesting at the end um, because there was some fuel strategy there at the end with Stefan Wilson. Uh, looked like he might pull off a victory and, you know, the in honor of his brother Justin Wilson wasn't it wasn't to be because he had to pit for gas. Um, so an interesting day. Um, you know, I thought it was a race that, uh, and I, again, I don't know Indy as well as I know NASCAR, but I felt like the new, the new car had a big effect on it. I think it, it hurt the racing a little bit just because there was so much unknown. They didn't know what the adjustments were going to do. They didn't know what a long run was really going to do. So I think it really hurt these guys over there at the Indianapolis 500, but willpower, uh, one of the best indie racers out there, to go out there and win the Indianapolis 500. 
um, the emotion and victory lane with him and his wife, it was good to see because, you know, it just shows you what that race really means to these guys. 300,000 fans there in Indianapolis, and to win in front of those 300,000 fans and to drink the milk and kiss the bricks. Uh, Will Power certainly had a day on Sunday at Indianapolis. That's the 17th Indy 500 win for Roger Penske. Think about it. That's, what's this, 102nd? So he's got about 16% of the history of Indy 500 is in Roger Penske's garage. That is impressive right there. Um, You're right. The package was interesting. Um, You didn't see many passes for the lead except on the um, restarts. And you were a sitting duck on a restart. It almost seemed that way because Ed Carpenter, I thought he was the class of the field most of the day. And he got behind on a pitch strategy or something and wound up getting behind and just couldn't and ran out of laps. But he, he was a great car all day. But you think about it. There's a lot of people who made the big thing. Oh, Danica wrecked out, which she did. And she spun on her own. But also Elio Castroneves spun on his own. Tony Kanaan spun on his own. Sage Karam spun on his own. Most every accident in the Indy 500 was mm-hmm. single car spins coming off two or four because of the aerodynamics of the new car. Um, I think Alexander Rossi put on a hell of a show in the last 50 laps because I think he came from like 15th to 4th, and he was passing cars three, four at a time on the outside, and you usually don't pass on the outside at Indy. So it was an impressive run by Alexander Rossi. But um, Will Power driving for Team Penske, I mean, it was great to see Roger again. The captain gets another Indy 500 championship. And the story behind Will Power getting to Team Penske was pretty impressive. If you think about it, the reason he got to Team Penske back in the day was when Elio Castroneves was indicted on tax fraud. And they needed somebody to run the first race of the season and do, be a test driver. And there were drivers who went to Penske and they said, hey, we want – we want you to come drive our car. And they said, I'm not doing it unless I get a full season. So Penske said, no, our sponsors are behind Elio Castro Nevis. We're going to be, we want Elio. And they got Will Power and he finished solid in his first race. And Elio got acquitted. Tim Sindrick said, Verizon wants to step up. We're going to give you a car full time. And he goes out and wins his second race driving for team Penske and has been there ever since. I mean, it was an impressive run. He's got an IndyCar championship. Now he's got the Indy 500 title under his belt. It's been a great career for Will Power, and it all started off because his ride at Dreyer Reinbart went away, and they were looking for somebody to fill in until whatever happened with Elio Castroneves with his tax fraud case came to an end. And he wound up with a full-time ride, got a championship out of it, got an Indy 500 title out of it. So it was an impressive career for Will Power that by accident, he wound up at Team Penske. Yeah, and it's not over yet, for sure. I mean, the guy's still writing history, as he showed on Sunday. Um, a great, certainly a great, great run for him. But, you know, to me, the guy who had a car that could have competed with him and Ed Carpenter was, you mentioned earlier, was Tony Kanaan, who I thought was very, very fast in A.J. Foyt's car. Um, you know, he wrecked on his own, as you said. He got uh, had a little bit of a pit issue but I still think he would have been able to work his way up and maybe not win that race, but get a solid top five run before he crashed. A lot of crashes. It's also running very, very high in the rate. There's a lot of single car spins. Uh, nobody really take an arrow. Somebody, somebody's, you know, spoiler or, or wing, I should say, in these cars. Um, it was just drivers losing it. Danica Patrick was one. Her final race, lap 57, she's crashed 
was in the top 15, not having a great day to begin with when she crashed. Um, you know, I I think as far as the open wheel is concerned with her, and we, we talked a lot about her stock car career after the Daytona 500, but as far as her Indian car career, she was a lot more successful. Um, I think she was much more focused early on in her career. Uh, before she was a major, major star, I think she really cared about racing and really cared about being successful. Um, she was she was fast. I, I think her courage was certainly there. Um, but you know, that's the end. This is the end. This is the last time we see Danica. Um, you know, and there was a lot of talk people this week about the NASCAR Hall of Fame for her, which I think we both agree she's going to get in, even though her stats might not back that up. Um, but Overall, what do you think of the Indianapolis 500, John? You know, again, I thought, it, you know, it was a different package. But to me, the better cars were running up front, where the draft wasn't as big an issue as it was in the past. And you almost got a little bit lucky in the past a couple of years because you could run with the draft. You had to have a really good race car to run really good um, in, in, this week's, in, the, in this weekend's Indianapolis 500. What were your thoughts on it, John? I thought it was a decent race. Again, I think the uh, aerodynamics on it um, changed the game because Elio Castro Nevis just doesn't lose it on his own. Tony Kanaan just doesn't lose it on his own, and they both did, and they both ended their day early. Tony Kanaan, it was great seeing an A.J. Foyt car running up toward the front. Instead of um, them doing their normal shot of A.J. sitting on top of the box whenever he's ticked off that his car is running 20th, AJ looked like he was happy. I mean, he even said they made a deal that if Tony Kanaan won, AJ would give him a kiss on the cheek before they ended up uh, kissing the bricks. And AJ is not the most uh, person in the world. It was a good day to see AJ Foyt's cars running well. Um, it was good to see Elio Castroneves uh, run well in the Indy 500. And as soon as he wrecked, Roger, please bring me back next year. Because it was a one-off deal for him. He's driving sports cars for Team Petsky now. I thought Ed Carpenter, I mean, sooner or later, the guy's going to get himself an Indy 500 championship. He dominates on pole day. He runs up toward the front, and there's always some sort of little thing that got him, and this time it was pit strategy. But Ed Carpenter was up front all day. I think Alexander Rossi, who won a couple years ago, he ran great. Um, he was able to pass cars where people, were, people shouldn't be passing and was solid driving for Andretti Autosport. So it was a decent day at the Indy 500. Um, it could have been better. There weren't a whole lot of passes for the lead, but it was a good race. I mean, it's Memorial Day. It's what you do. I mean, I get up every year. Uh, I do the race at Monaco, which was a joke this year. I watched Indy 500, yeah. then I watched the Coke 600. I mean, I, I didn't miss a lap. Yeah, we'll talk about Monaco in a second here. Uh, it wasn't, you know, and this is the thing. I, I think people get a little spoiled where they say, oh, they want every race to be like an absolute barn burner, an absolute, you know, edge of your seat. And, and I don't think Indianapolis was at the edge of your seat exciting, but I don't think it was boring this year at all. Uh, there's a lot of storylines. There's a lot of different things going on that let the race play out, thank God, to where, you know, it made it very interesting. And it was like, okay, well, certain people on pitch strategy, who's going to win? Um, again, I think handling had a little bit to do with, with it. To me, that, that's what it's all about. Um, so it was, you know, a combination of everything, which I'd like to see. So I think that had – that was really, really good. Um, and that puts my bow on the Indianapolis 500. As far as Monaco is concerned, John, one guy 
sat on the pole, led every single lap, and took the victory uh, in Daniel Ricciardo over there at Monaco. So not a very exciting Formula One race for sure. Without a doubt, it wasn't. Um, even um, Alex or Fernando Alonso, who ran the Indy 500 last year, basically said Monaco should give their the fans their money back. Uh, Lewis Hamilton said it was the worst race he was ever a part of. All he was trying to do was save tires because everybody was trying to do it on a one-stop strategy. Um, and the winner of the race lost power in his engine 20 laps into it. He was in the lead and held the lead the whole race. But, I mean, he was down to about 80% performance and still won the race. And he won the race comfortably. So, I mean, the Monaco Grand Prix, even though it is one of those spectacles, it just wasn't something that was worth watching. I totally agree. I just – I tried to get into it this year. I really did, and I was like, man, that was – that was rough. So um, Formula One is not my thing. I, I openly admit that. So if it's your thing, I'm not going to sit there and, and argue with you until you blue in the face that it was uh, it was a good race or not. But, you know, i got to see somebody else at least lead one other lap to call it a good race. 917-889-8280, Talking Circles, Clayton Caldwell. John Harlow here with you. Uh, Pocono Raceway this weekend here, John. Xfinity Series is running the pack as they ran a couple of times last year. At um, you know, Indianapolis, and and it's similar to the package we saw at Charlotte for the All Star race. Um, you excited? You more excited to see that package, or are you more excited to see, to watch the Cup race on Sunday at Pocono? What's your thoughts? I think I'm more excited to see the Cup race at Pocono, especially with the Xfinity drivers. There's a lot of them who can wreck whenever they don't need to wreck, and if you tighten them up and make the field closer to just to bring the field closer turn one and turn turn one you don't go too wide into except on the opening lap turn three you don't go too wide into so they're going to have to follow the leader at some point and one of the things we talked about at the all-star race if they get strung out you can't get them back together because you don't have the horsepower because the restrictor plates on there so the xfinity race has every possibility of either being a wreck fest or being boring as hell with follow the leader racing the cup series, since they cut it down to 400 miles at Pocono. And I always, I mean, I used to go there every year and the, the time between the 400 mile and the 500 mile seemed to take forever. Same way it used to at Dover, but since they cut it down to 400 miles, it hasn't turned. I mean, it's not the um, fuel mileage race. It turned into on a regular basis especially adding the stages in, it makes it better racing. And I think the racing at Pocono is phenomenal now that they've redone it, um, got it down to 400 miles. They repave the track. So you're not having your um, one, everybody looking for the one patch of pavement there in turn three that they can get around. It's turned into a, I mean, it's a really good racetrack anymore. It's sort of like California. It found new life after it sucked for so long. Pocono had its moments where it sucked. But now it's starting to turn into a better racetrack and a better race. And this one is all horsepower because that 3,700-foot straightaway is a whole – it's something you don't see anywhere else. And if you don't have the horsepower to get down that straightaway, you're lucky to be in 10th place. One of the things that makes Pocono cool is they run it backwards because 
and not lose a lap. So you're almost thinking road course whenever your pit strategy is. You start counting backwards from the end of the race, and you're trying to make your marks on when you make pit road. Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, it's sort of like a road course that way, for sure. You pit, you know, they say you, you sort of uh, pit backwards there at those racetracks. 917-889-8280 here. If you want to join a, the conversation on Talking in Circles, like Lee in Virginia, good evening, Lee. What do you want to talk about tonight? Uh, we'll talk about Pocono Raceway. We'll uh, do the 600 first, but I wanted to put this out for the, uh, Pocono. With the longer pit stops now, with the five men over the wall, you may not see that strategy of guys pitting backwards because it's going to get to a point where they're going to go more than one lap down. Or uh, they'll go one lap down where they weren't going a lap down before because of the longer pit stops. And um, that could be an issue for some teams, especially if you're – it's going to depend on how many seconds you are within the leader at Pocono where we used to see everybody, no question, come down and you know, be, not be able to go a lap down. With the new rules, you're going to have to be within a certain sp- few seconds of the leader or you're not going to be – you're going to go fall lap down, and it's going to be a moot point anyway. So it'll be interesting to watch that at Pocono this weekend. Yeah, I think something else, too, that uh, that really wasn't an issue this weekend at Charlotte for whatever reason, but I think it's going to be an issue, something to look out for at Pocono this weekend, is the fact that we don't qualify on our – we don't race on the – we don't start the race on the tires we qualified. If you remember last year, uh, these races were sort of impound races, and it just seemed like they didn't get – for, you know, with all the the qualifying laps on those tires and on those race cars, you know, there were seven laps at a two-and-a-half-mile track on these cars, and so they pitted a lot sooner than what they would have had they not changed the tires. Now it's sort of in a, in a situation where, well, they're going to change the tires, and you're going to get seven more laps out of your tires, so they might be able to split the stages in half like we've seen in the past uh, at other racetracks. So, Something else to keep an eye on, I think it's going to be really interesting because of the fact that, again, Pocono is such a big racetrack that you put a lot more on your tires when you run two, two or three laps or two or three rounds of qualifying here um, where you don't, you know, uh, you won't use, you use your tires up much more than what you would everywhere else. This weekend, we're not worried about that because obviously it's the, it's the second week now where we don't start the race in the tires we qualified. For sure. I think that'll be something to watch out for as well. Um, the Coca-Cola 600, I thought TV did a good job. I don't know if you guys touched on this or not. I thought TV did a good job with the coverage and the fact that there wasn't anything going on at the front of the field. Kyle Busch absolutely dominated. But I thought they showed us some good racing in the back of the pack. For the first time in a while, I was actually pleased with the TV coverage and the way they covered that race. Oh, no doubt, Lee. I'm 100% with you. One of the things I told Clayton as we uh, talked about the 600 is there was some great racing between second and 22nd. Um, And we weren't just focused on Kyle Busch. I mean, look, he won by seven and a half seconds. If you're going to follow Kyle Busch, you're going to lose every bit of rating. Um, So they wound up covering the racing in the pack. And I think the good racing, they had three, four wide at times back there. I think the good racing in the pack wound up sort of quelling down a little bit, even though you still hear the rumors of it. You still hear the rumblings of it. Steve O'Donnell talked about it a little bit. The all-star package, I don't think everybody's clamoring for it the way they were last week at this time. Well, I, it's funny because I was, I was a little disappointed in the owners of the sport because 
yeah, every owner they talked to on Sirius XM or on TV, et cetera, were saying, oh, yeah, we love the package. We're going to run for it. And they're the, they're the SOBs that are, that are holding it up. So, you know, they talk out of the one side of their mouth, and then behind scenes they'll talk out of the other side of their mouth. I still think we're going to see it. Um, and I, I don't love – and I think one of the things that we're looking for is getting rid of the arrow push, which was still extremely prevalent at, at Charlotte with this package. Um, and I still think the all-star package is way closer to what we want. I think there was, I think part, also part of the reason, John, is that we're, we were okay with the Coca-Cola 600 was we had just gotten off such a good race in the all-star race. Everybody was in, was in such good spirits after that that you were like, okay, you know what, if there's a stinker coming up, I can actually live with it because we just had a great race. I think if the all-star race had the same package as the 600, we would have sat there and said, this sucks. So everybody was in good spirits. Well, the thing is, and this is something Clayton and I brought up with, and we'd li- I'd like to hear what you think about it, Lee. Um, in the all-star package with the restrictor plate, it was short spurts. If they have a long green flag run like they had several times at the Coke 600, and you have that restrictor plate on and they get spread out, how do you get back together? Because don't you don't have the horsepower to bring them up. I think, they need to, I think they need to make the holes bigger, give them a little bit more power. I think everybody you've talked to, Agreed with that. I think there's no question that the package for the All-Star race wasn't perfect, but it was definitely much closer to what we were looking for than the 600. Um, I'm not sure if these guys would ever get stretched out, John. And I, what I liked about the package is um, it, would, it would be about momentum. So you might have to take – it might take you the whole run to get up there and get, get a run, and this way you have to race for the whole run. Guys get lackadaisical sometimes. I think that they, you know, try and ride around and get to the end. I'm not sure they'd be able to do that because, you know – uh, it, it took a lot longer for them to get the speed up in the past, but it, it, I don't love the restrictor plate. Let me put that out there first. I don't love the restrictor plate. I think there's other ways we can limit speed. I think there's other ways we can fix this package. I think the package needs to be fixed. I think there's many other ways we can do it. I think the fact that it showed you, it basically showed you that we don't need the speed in these cars and we shouldn't have that much speed in these cars. And, and we, we had good racing without the speed. So not, necessarily with the restricted plates, but the fact that the cars were slower and we had better speed. Um, and I'm okay with not having restricted plates and, and limiting the horsepower if that's what they want to do. Um, but I'm not in love with the restricted plates, but like I said three times here, I was much happier. It was much more entertaining than what we usually see at these intermediates, which are just snooze fests. I think we'll see it again. David Wilson was on Toyota, from Toyota was on late shift this week and said he'd be shocked if we don't see it again before the end of the regular season. So I think we definitely will. Probably the Here's second I mission race again. Indianapolis. I, I, I don't know if we'll see it. I don't. Yeah, Indianapolis is where I was going to point to. I don't think we'll see it uh, before Indianapolis. I think Indianapolis is a way where everybody in this sport looks at it and says, "We want to kind of save Indianapolis. We need to be in Indianapolis." Yada yada yada. Where they might swallow a bullet here if you're a team owner and say, "Hey." We'll make Indianapolis a good. We'll try and make Indianapolis and give them a, a new package there because the racing has been such ter- so terrible there the last few years. We'll go with Indianapolis. It's right before the playoffs, and this way we can run it once in Indianapolis and give it a a Indianapolis a decent race, and then we can say, well, we don't want to touch anything because most of the year in 2018 we've run at this at the old package, and the owners will su- will suck it up and let one race go. Where if we see this race, its package at Michigan or something earlier than that, fans are going to be wanting it in the playoffs. And I think the only way we don't see it in the playoffs, the only way we see it in the playoffs is if it's early. 
But the owners will not let this happen in the playoffs because they're going to want to run with the championship with the package they just ran the entire 2018 season with. So I think if NASCAR says we're going to run at Indianapolis and we won't, you won't see it again until 2019, I think that's the most likely scenario for sure. Well, I, well, I, think, think, you'll see it, I think you may see it at Michigan, and the, the track owner is going to have a lot of say in, as well, and the operator there at Indianapolis was calling for it. So I think that's going to help them as well. I think if they run it in Indianapolis, you're going to have car owners bitching and complaining because it's the last race before the playoffs, and you're going to throw a new package at us again that we haven't run more than a uh, quick segment. I mean, the biggest segment they ran at the All-Star race is 40 laps. They didn't even run a full full fuel run. And now you're going to run this. The race before the playoffs. That's why I said second Michigan race is a possibility. I don't see them running at Michigan. I mean, at Indy, especially whenever you've got cars in 16th, 17th, 18th, fighting for that last playoff spot or somebody coming out of the blue, getting a win that wouldn't have gotten a win without this package. So I think it's too close to the playoffs to, it would mess with the integrity of what the playoffs should be. But then again, it's NASCAR. The integrity is always in question. And I think, John, it should be at this point about putting on a best show for the fans. I under, and I completely understand that integrity for the playoffs. I completely get it. But I think this – John, I don't know about you, but the reaction that I heard uh, from the fans was a very upbeat, very uh, excited fan base for the first time in over in a decade. I haven't heard people like that that excited in a decade. And it was like, you know what? If that's the excitement they're going to have after a package, let's go try and run it as quickly as possible. Forget about the integrity of the playoffs for a second. We can put it off for a couple of weeks. I agree with you about Indianapolis. I think that's a very tricky situation that they're in being the final race of the regular season. You will have some car owners complaining about it. You will have some drivers complaining about that. I think the second Michigan's a possibility. I think the second Pocono might be a possibility, but those are Pocono and, and Chicagoland have been talked about, but I think those are very quick turnarounds. Uh, you might see, but Michigan isn't, and I think that, uh, and I think that um, you know the second Michigan isn't, and I think you'll see it in Indianapolis regardless. I really do. I believe that the track owners calling for it, and I think you'll see it. They're just going to have to live with it. Remember, a couple of years ago, they had a different package at Michigan. Kyle Larson won the race, and it didn't really. Nobody really said anything about integrity of the regular of the playoffs because if you're not good in this package, you're not going to advance in the playoffs no matter what anyway. Yeah, and th- Lee, thank you so much for the phone call. You add a lot of great substance to this show, and you're always welcome to call. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Um, listen, I think we will see it in the And keep in mind, too, we also saw it run last year at Indianapolis in the Xfinity Series race. And I know you say it's Xfinity, but you know a lot of these Cup guys have Xfinity Series cars, um, so the package at least they might take something over from that. Real quick, John. A uh, minute left here. Your pick to win Pocono this weekend. Kevin Harvick. He finished <laughs> second both races last year, and they are so much better this year. I mean, I know Kyle Busch won the second Pocono race, and Blaney won the first one. But as long as Kevin Harvick doesn't put it in the wall, Kevin Harvick is my favorite to win. And I don't see him putting it into the wall two weeks in a row. I agree with you. I think Harvick's going to be strong. I think Kyle Busch is going to be strong. Kurt Busch always runs really good at Pocono. He's a guy to keep an eye on. He's got a couple of wins here in the past as well, you know, running for Roger Penske and other teams as well. Uh, I want to thank everybody for listening to Talking in Circles tonight. We'll be back here next time on Talking in Circles. 
Good night, everybody.